The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. So we're wrapping up Titus, and I love how Paul concludes because he has these personal details from which we can gain great understanding and draw really important applications. But in verse 14, he kind of gives us a summation of the entire letter. Verse 14 says, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. The theme throughout Titus has been good works, that God has established the church of Jesus. He has left us here empowered by his spirit to transform the world around us, starting with every relationship, starting in every situation. We are meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus to preach the good news of God's great love and his grace that is for all people. We are here on purpose, commissioned by God, and part of that commission has to do with good works. In order for those good works to come out, people need to be taught and trained, which means we need leaders and teachers who model what it looks like to follow God, who are zealous to change the world around them, who are living in the fruit of self-control, and who are learning, and this is what the church of Jesus is meant to be about, and that's what this book and this series has been about, the importance of leadership and influence and self-control and good works, but it could be easy for us to get to this point in the letter and to have missed the big picture altogether because good works are what flow out of the main message of Titus. Good works are not the main message of Titus. As we conclude this series this morning, the sermon title, for those of you who take notes, is All of Grace. All of Grace. And let me draw your attention to the fact that, number one, Titus is a message of grace, as is the whole scripture. Any book you open in the Bible is a message of grace. The scriptures in all their 66 books are a message of grace, each of them developing at different points in history, but all of them telling of the love and kindness and faithfulness and steadfast grace of the same God. Do you know it? No matter where you turn to in the scriptures, you will find a message of grace, and Titus is no difference. The Apostle Paul goes to great length to show us this with what I call a a grace sandwich. He starts Titus chapter 1 and verse 4. Do you remember? Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And he ends the letter, chapter 3 and verse 15. Grace be with all of you. He begins with grace. He ends with grace. Grace sandwich. It reminds me of that uh, scene from The Princess Bride. You guys knew where I was going there. Where Wesley's mostly dead and they inflate his lungs and ask him what he has worth living for and he belts out, true love. True love, you heard that? That's true, Billy Crystal's character. That's true. True love is the greatest thing in the whole world. Except for a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. When the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes are ripe, juicy, so perky. I love that. It's a grace sandwich for you right here. In this case, the grace sandwich is the greatest thing in the whole world because it is the picture of true love. And that's what this book is about. The central passage, the, the, the key passage in this book is the big picture of grace. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 14. I've referenced it in almost every sermon. It says, for the grace of God has appeared in the coming of Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. And that salvation is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, 
to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see how the good works flow out of the grace sandwich? Do you see how the message is about how the grace of God has appeared, but that grace transforms? And so, yes, we are a church called to be zealous for good works, to engage, to find our identity and our purpose and redefine our relationships because of the grace of God. That's what this is about, is a message of grace. And it's not just the big picture of what's happening everywhere and out there. It's meant to be the picture of what's happening right in here. The Apostle Paul, again, to Titus, directs our attention that this is not just grace for everyone generically, but this is grace to you specifically. Chapter three and verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This was all of our stories in one way, shape, or form. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appear, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, this reality is the key to understanding the rest of all the scriptures. Do you know this is an unfolding story of God's plan for humanity and all the pieces aren't in the beginning. You have to read it from cover to cover to understand how God's been functioning all along. But the God of the Bible hasn't changed between Genesis and Revelation. And he hasn't changed since the writing of the New Testament and today. The same God that loves you, prove that to you by coming to be with us in Christ Jesus, to atone for sins that no one could, to be the perfect person, to be the perfect Israelite, to be the son of God so that in him we might become the redeemed children of God and change our lives forever. This is our story. This is our story. This is why we we should celebrate our old screw-ups. We should be happy to share them. We should be happy to tell people how dumb we used to be, the kind of things that we used to live for, the stupid choices that we made. Why? We're not ashamed of them because we've been delivered from them. We're not trying to cover them over because it's not about how we've gotten better. It's about how we've gotten saved. It's about how we've been delivered. It's that we've been forgiven. It's that we have a new heart. It's that now we value new things, not because we got smart, because we got found when we didn't know we were lost. Listen, I made terrible choices, but I was blind and now I see. And even in the gap, even when I could see and I still made dumb choices, God's never given up on me. He's always been faithful. He's always forgiven me. He's always redirected me. He never lets me wander off. He always goes after me when I'm lost like a little sheep. He always brings me back home. He always brings me to repentance. He's always there to forgive and he always gives me hope. And this is the God of the Bible. And this, brothers and sisters, is the message of grace. And this is the message of Titus. Let us not forget it because I'm gonna be after you to be doing some good works. I am. I'm gonna find things for everyone. (laughs) 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give everybody a job and everybody's getting their hands dirty. Every single one of you have a calling from God, a mission. We can't do what God has called us to do in Volusia County in 2021 without you being in the game. And so there are works to be done, but those works aren't what changed you. What changed you is what empowered those works. And so we must remember at the end of this study that it's all of grace. It's a message of grace and it's grace that transforms. I love too that we get uh, some technical correspondence because not only is this a message of grace, but I love that we get a, a little picture, a little illustration of plans of grace. Plans of grace. Look at verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best. Somebody say, do your best. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided, somebody say, I have decided. I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best, somebody say, do your best. To speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. Do you see another little sandwich happening right there? A little, I have decided, wrapped up in two sesame seed buns of do your best. This is really a helpful reminder for us because we live in a generation that has become very graceless in our plans. We live in a generation where we're able to confirm instantly with everyone. And you guys know this because you have red receipts on your cell phone. You ever send somebody a message and you're like, delivered, red. And dots and nothing. Ah! Where's my response? I know you saw it. You, you put your cursor in the dialogue box and then you put me back in your pocket. How dare you? This is the world we live in. I read a study a couple years ago that talked about uh, the nature of time and how we, how we um, plan. And the, the study had to do with, in different cultures, what is an acceptable range of being late? How many of you guys are from the 15-minute crowd? If you're 15 minutes late, you're like, ah, I was a little late. Some of you are like, early is on time, on time is late, and late is unacceptable. Yeah, yeah we're glad when you're the manager. Uh, with that mentality. But we, we make these plans assuming that we can carry them out. And what happens when our plans go awry, which they often do, is we get irate and frustrated in a bad mood. Doesn't this happen? And I know this happens, and I know it happens for you, because I'm watching it happen, because we have four children. And we're in this period of time as parents where Tiffany and I will sit in the front seat, her driving, and we'll be talking about our plans, and then our kids will pipe in with questions and, and requests for clarification. When, who, what, how, when, all the questions are coming at them. And we always tell them, we're like, this is not, you're not a part of this conversation, you know? We're going to make these plans with or without you, and they may or may not happen. And uh, so we don't want our kids being constantly kind of like disappointed or, oh, you said. You guys have any kids in the back seat like that? No? <laughs> then it's you. You're the one. We live in a world where we have this incredibly high expectation that we can carry out our plans. We are immediately connected. We make plans down to the second. Do you know that in the American Northeast, that was the highest point of, you, this study showed, you have to apologize for being late if you are less than five minutes late. So if you roll up to an appointment and you're three minutes late in Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, up to Massachusetts, that you felt compelled culturally to apologize. I'm so sorry. Did you know that in Florida, it was 30 minutes? 30 minutes late. In Australia, it was three hours. Three hours late. Showing up a little late, are we? You know? You're rolling in. We're like, it's 11 o'clock. Eh, throw on the wings, right? Here we go. Like, they're ready to roll, and nobody cares. You show up an hour and a half after start time, they're like, oh, somebody's here. Nobody cares. Did you know in Africa, 
It's three days. Three days. It's Thursday. You said you would be here on Monday, and I'm very mad. I've been having dinner warm, and all this time it's very dry. Thinking just about the relative nature of all of this stuff. What is going on? This is really important because Christian people ought to be the most gracious people. And we ought to have like a tempered awareness that things don't go as planned. Because they never do, don't they? Like how often do things go exactly to plan? I mean, really, when things go exactly to our plans, sometimes we're like, what? Wow. But then we have an attitude of expectation that's towards other people. And I say this because we're, we're in the midst of making plans. We're making plans to expand. We're making plans to add services. We're making plans to bring more volunteers on. We're talking about what's, what are our options. And listen, everything's moving parts right now. We're watching inflation skyrocket. What, what we were thinking was gonna cost us two million might cost three. We don't wanna be levied with debt. We're going, what are we supposed to do? And everything's getting flexy. But listen, we want to be people who are not who are not dogmatically committed to executing our plans, but being committed to our purpose. Do you know that? Do you know that? We want to be people who are committed to the purpose. We're always trying to solve a, a problem that's related to our purpose. But sometimes we get so committed to our plans. One of the churches that I led in a, uh, with a team that was filled with strife, um, we, always, we always end up fighting over the same thing. It wasn't fighting like this. It wasn't fighting. It was just disagreeing. And we'd have these elder meetings and I am of the persuasion of like, I like to learn uh, from trial and error. Anybody else like that? You're like, I'm just going to do this. And if it doesn't go well, I'll just stop. Does anybody else? So like when I realize something's not working, I'm willing to just let it go. I don't have so much ego that I have to be like, well, I said I was going to do it. But we'd have these conversations and I'd have the elders that I was with at the time. They were going, nope, you said it. We're doing this. We're not, we're not going to stop. And I'm like, it's not working. It's bad. It's bad for me, it's bad for you, it's bad for everyone, but we said it, so we're gonna do it. We have a problem here. We can be so committed to our own plans that we just keep pushing, 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 and meanwhile, we're losing the people, we're missing the purpose, we're not solving the problem, and so we wanna be people who are gracious towards others when things don't go as planned. When somebody shows up late, or forgets, or is delayed, we wanna, we wanna have an attitude like Paul. Hey. Do your best. Do your best. And now, in the first century, there, there, were, there was no way to coordinate. No one had a Google calendar in the first century, okay? You weren't sharing appointments. You, confirm the appointment, please. Confirm the, we're like, I plan to be in this city during the winter. Go there and look for me. <laughs> I'm going to send a guy. Might be this guy. Might be this guy. I don't know who will be available at the time. Could you do your best and then can you imagine Paul gets to Nicopolis and Titus just doesn't show up and he wasn't like, <sighs> he was like, oh, I guess he did his best and just something happened. Maybe died in a shipwreck. I don't know. You have no idea. Why? Because there's no way to communicate. I was trying to, I was trying to like convince my kids of this because they get super uptight about the plan. And if there's any changes to the plan, there's like a mutiny on the bounty. Okay. <laughs> and so I was ta- we were talking to, to the kids and we were like, Actually, we, we do this thing where we talk to each other in their hearing because they're already listening anyway. I'll say, babe, do you remember back when we were in high school and you would call somebody on a landline and tell them you were on your way and then you hung up and went on your way and then there was no way to talk to them until you got there? Remember what that was like? Does anybody remember that? Anybody over 30 in the room? Yeah. 
And some of you are like, I remember when you used to pick up the phone and you'd have to say, operator? My grandma used to tell me this all the time. She had a party line in her little town in Iowa. And so she'd, you'd get on the phone and there'd already be people talking. You're like, just let me know when you guys are done. Just listening in. You're like, awkward, okay. I said this to, 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 to Tiffany in the kids' hearing and Meredith, literally this is what she said. She's like, you didn't have phones? No, we didn't. She's like, not even flip phones? Which is like the, the ancientest history she can imagine is like a Nextel flip phone. Like 2003 might as well have been the first century to her. I mean, that's, that's where they're living. So let's not be those people. Do you understand? Can we have a, hey, do your best. Like this is, this, is the, this is the problem we're trying to solve. This is the purpose God wants us to fulfill. We're gonna make some plans, but there's a lot of factors outside of our control. Proverbs 16, three says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So we wanna do that. We wanna be people who say, I know what my work is. I'm committing it to the Lord. I'm gonna do it for him, unto him, empowered by him. And I'm gonna let him uh, redirect the paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He'll make straight your paths. He'll bring you to where he wants you to be. And this is important. And, and this whole message of grace plays into this because it's God's promise to his people. It's God's promise to us today, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, God's always had good plans for you. But so often we get just hung up on our plans for God, don't we? We want to read that as though it says, and I know the plans you have for us, <laughs> declares the Lord. Uh, but God's not committed to your plans. He is committed to your purpose. He is committed 100% to death, to your salvation. He is committed to your highest good. He is committed to your transformation. But he's not committed to your plans. So let's be people who have a message of grace and who have plans of grace. And this is important because this book is about leadership and a bunch of you are gonna be emerging into leadership. You're gonna be walking in new areas of oversight and servant leadership, and it's important that you don't bring a, a dogmatic commitment to the execution of your plans as you made them, no matter what happens, hell or high water, we're going there, because I don't wanna work for you, if that's what you're like, and neither does anybody else. My dad was uh, epic at this with the phrase, we'll see. How many of you grew up with a parent that said, we'll see? Dad, can we get ice cream later? We'll see, which eventually, by the time I was like nine or 10, I realized that's just dad speak for no, it's a no. It's a no. And we knew that because when dad said, we'll see, it was no 100% of the time. And if you asked dad, and instead of saying, we'll see, he said, hang tight, that was a pretty good chance that that was about to happen. But dad didn't make any plans. Hang tight meant the thing you asked for, I can actually do right this second. But if it was, can we do this tomorrow? Yeah, we'll see, <laughs> you know? Let's just be we'll see kind of people. Amen? So I love that we get a little glimpse of the, the plans of grace. Let's get back to verse 14, which is the kind of summary verse of this, of this um, passage. Uh, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good work so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So we've seen the message of grace, grace sandwich. We've seen plans of grace in this little communication. But this really is about works of grace. Maybe you, you grew up in a, in a religious tradition uh, a Reformed or a Protestant tradition where there was a lot of works versus grace. You heard a lot of works versus grace sermons. Maybe you're related to a Catholic person and you're always having this kind of works versus grace conversation. It's, ha it's a very common thing theologically. If you get in the weeds of your Christian faith for any period of time, there's gonna be this tension between uh, works 
and grace and what is you doing the right thing for the wrong reason and, 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 and there's all this kind of works versus grace. Anybody ever have this experience? Um, there, are, there are no works versus grace because you can do nothing at all. Uh, when Jesus found you, you were dead spiritually. You weren't doing anything. There were no works happening and he brought you to life. But part of being a person who's alive is being a person who works, which means all works are works of grace. Do you know it? You'll get backwards if you start trying to work for grace because you already have grace. And that'd be as weird as your kids trying to earn their birthday presents. <laughs> My birthday's coming. I'm going to do some chores. No, yeah, that's weird. That's not how this works, right? Look at, look, at the, look at the passage. There is an emphasis on letting our people learn, and this is critical. This is super critical. Uh, and this is one of the reasons at Christ Church we do ministry the way we do. Our mission statement is on purpose that we, we exist to be and become disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. If you're an English teacher, you know that's a terrible sentence. There's all sorts of redundancy, unnecessary verbiage. And we complicate the matter even further by chopping it up into this little board on the wall. Disciples, be, become, make. I've done funerals in this room and there'd be like a retired English teacher just staring at that board the entire time. And at the end, I've had this happen three or four times. At the end, they'll be waiting to talk to me. And I'll, and I'll ask them about the, the person that they've lost and who are they. And, we'll, and then they'll say, I just need to, what's with all the words on the sign? <laughs> Disciples, be, become, make. Why, what is this smattering of words? What does this mean? But it gives me a chance to like spell out our mission. That become is really important. Because we do, we are called to follow Jesus. And being a disciple is what we're called to. And a disciple is a, it's a lifelong learner and someone who practices what they're learning. And so there's a learn and do, learn and do, learn and do. And you never stop learning and you never stop doing. Do you know that? There's no academic level in the Christian church. I just learn. I learn and I write. I do not do. I learn and I write, which makes me an expert. But you know what an expert is? A drip under pressure. That's what an expert is, right? There is no intellectual academic class in the Christian church, or at least there shouldn't be, because we're all disciples. We're learners and we're doers. And sometimes people need a period of time between when they begin to learn and when they learn enough to know, I want to follow Jesus with the rest of my life. And so we want to be a church that is cool to just let people hang out and figure it out for kind of a long time. That's typically not encouraged in the church. Do you know it? If you come in and you don't talk like everybody, act like everybody, but you just keep coming, eventually someone's going to say, could you not say that? Could you not wear that? Could you not do that? Could you stop parking there? All, all, the, all the exterior conformity, but we just want to be a people who are on purpose saying, sometimes it takes us a while to become. Sometimes we've got a lot of baggage to get through, a lot of questions to answer, a lot of doubts to resolve. Sometimes we've got a lot of hurt that we're trying to sort out. And we want to be a place where you can just come here Hang out, be you, meet Jesus. And so we're really, really, really committed to being a becoming church. And that means those of us who are all in, who've been doing it for a long time, it's important that we remember where we used to come from and we be patient with people. That's, that's what grace looks like relationally. Don't you know it? And we talk about this all the time with, with some of our core values, like trajectory is more important than proximity. Yes, we all want to be close to God, but being close to God is great for you, but if somebody's far from God, it takes them, sometimes it takes them some time to grow in his direction. So what, what matters to us is trajectory. Is everybody making movement towards Jesus? He's at the center of everything. Is everyone moving? And if we do this thing about who's in and out, we draw the circle and who's close and who's far, you'll miss the point. You'll say, yeah, but they're smoking cigarettes. <laughs> and I'll be here to go, do you know what they were smoking last year? This is improvement, you know? 
This is good. We're making forward progress towards Jesus. This is the kind of the church we're trying to be. We want to be people who are committed to letting our people learn and letting our people serve and letting our people work and letting everybody at their pace continue to make movement towards God. We want to be a, a church that's characterized by fruitfulness, by help. Isn't it funny uh, how we, have, we do this thing where we have this kind of false standard of who can help, but then when it's time for you to move, you'll let anybody help. You know what I mean? Your atheist cousin, your, your drug dealer next door neighbor, if they can get the couch on the truck, come on, help us out. And yet we have to like sanctify everybody before they can help officially around here. So we want, to be a, we want to be a church of people who have works of grace. We're gracious in the work, in the working, that we see where it comes from, that we're not trying to work to anything. We're working from something, that we're working together, that we're patient, that we're kind. This is what these works of grace looks like. Devote themselves to good work. And this is the other thing too. You got to do this yourself. Uh, you, have to, you have to devote yourself This is the same idea behind submit yourselves, be submissive. It's a choice you make. I can't make you submissive. This happens all the time. Pastors try to, you need to obey your leaders. I'm going to force submission. That's not how submission works. Submission is when I decide to follow somebody. When I decide to lay down my rights in order to do things your way. That's what submission is. And that's the the same thing that we we have here with devotion. Devote yourself. I don't want to contort and force people to do things they don't want to do because you'll just be resentful eventually. That's not the kind of work we're looking to do. We're not leveraging anybody. We're not guilt tripping anybody. We want everybody at Christ Church who's doing work to be able to do so with a smile on their face. Why? Because they devoted themselves to the good works. They weren't asked, forced, guilted. Everybody's serving except you. Well, now I feel like I kind of have to. Yeah, you do. No, thank you. No, thank you. That's the kind of church that you end up leaving to go to a church that will let you hang out for a while. Do you understand? And so let's, be, let's have works of grace. Let's let our, our working be, be not graceless. This really is what, what hinders growth. When we can be a, a community that allows people to learn, that lets them devote themselves, and that's committed to help. I just became, I became aware of a, a situation, uh, a, a tender of Christ Church who works at a local restaurant had a, a, a coworker whose family's house burned to the ground, and they all lived. They got out of the house, but they were left with only their jammies. That was it. That's, I would call that a case of urgent need. I don't know if you would call that a case of urgent need, but if I have only my jammies, I feel kind of in need. And this happened to us four or five years ago. There was a house that, that burned down and everybody in church the next Sunday brought gift cards to rest, local restaurants and Target. And we p- took this big packet of gift cards to this family who was staying with a relative and said, this is from our church. And they were like, what church? They didn't even know us. They weren't a part of our community. We just heard about the need. We want to be ready to, to act. As soon as we hear about a case of urgent need, we're ready to go. We don't need to think about it, plan for it, respond to it. Because when there is a legitimate urgent need, it needs a response now, doesn't it? Not in three months, not when we can make a plan, figure it out. When someone's in need, we want to be able to move. And so we're going to be able to move. Details coming on that, by the way. Um, This is who we're trying to be, a grace-filled church working with the right attitude, the right heart, and happy to help, happy to help. Overcommitted people can't help. Uh, Resentful, overcommitted people cannot help. You ever, have, you ever have that happen where you're doing 10 things you don't want to do? You're on the HOA, you're on the PTA, you're in all the things that end with A, and you're doing all the things, and then somebody says, um, so-and-so's funerals this weekend, oh, and then we got to do that. Can, can you bring cookies? No, I can't bring cookies! I can't brush my teeth or take a shower! Whoa. 
Do you understand? That's what we're trying to avoid. Do you see where we're going with this? And so we want to be a church characterized by good works, but filled with grace. And when you have your feet planted on a message of grace, and when your leadership is wrapped up in just plans of grace, and when you're doing the work that God put you here to do that flows out of your heart, that you're called to, that you devoted yourself to, and you're doing it and saying yes to the right things and no to the right things, you are positioned to be fruitful and helpful. This is the kind of church we want to bring, which brings me to the last of our all of grace observations, and that is a picture of a community of grace. A community of grace. Look at verse 12 and listen to all the names. When I, Paul, send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Titus, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. If this was the Southern Standard Version, it would say y'all right there. Greet those who love us in the faith and grace be with you all. Do you, do you just sense the community that's happening? And this is community that's happening spread over the entire ancient Near East. We're talking multiple countries and multiple cities, days journeys away, and yet there is a camaraderie and a care and a concern and a thoughtfulness that is oftentimes missing from modern day churches. I mean, think about this for a second. Titus is left on Crete, establishing leaders. He's coming off Crete to be replaced by Artemis or Tychicus. Where's Titus going next? And then who's, Zenus is there. What's the work he's doing? But he's out. And so there's kind of like in and out. And there's not, a, there's not a, a demand for, no, this is our guy, our people. There's movement of leadership and service all over the place. And people committed not to personalities, not to podcasts, not to my favorite person I like to, to listen to, but we have a mission and we need to be able to move the pieces everywhere to fulfill the mission. Do you see that? That's very uncomfortable for churches. We're trying to be purposefully different. And we've been talking about this as Christ Church grows. We're trying to be a church that can raise up whole groups of people and set them in another city to do the same type of ministry. And that means leaders are going to be dislocated. That means we're going to, we're going to split the, the staff possibly and move people around. That means you're going to stop sitting in your seat and sitting in a new place and maybe setting up pipe and drape before, depending on where you can meet. And it could be from really nice and pretty auditorium to a really ugly community center where you're stomping roaches while you're preaching. Been there, done that. Might be the cafeteria of a school where you sit down into gum, all kinds of crazy stuff. And everybody's getting shifted and moved. But when you're, when you're fixed on the message of grace and on the work of God on, in the globe and what that means for me and how God has altered me and, and how he never leaves me and he's making me new every day and every day I wake up to new mercies and every day I get a chance to help other people and I get to live generously because of how he's treated me. And then when I get to do that with other people and we're doing our best to make plans, but we're we're grace, gracious about the whole entire thing. And we're, we're, we're recognizing we're here to fulfill a purpose and not execute somebody's plans. We're here to solve a problem and not get dogmatic about the way that it gets done. We're here to work from our hearts to devote ourselves to be doing the thing God's put us here to do. And it sets us free to say no and, and to grab a hold of the right things and to be gracious with people who can and people who can't and people who are in process. And this creates an environment, a community of grace. And you can't just slap a sticker on that and it happens. 
It's the, it's the miracle of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I was kind of laughing to myself writing this because one of the most kind of most judgmental environments that I was ever in was in a church called Grace Community Church. <laughs> Which is a little ironic, don't you think? As we're talking about being a community of grace, you can't just call it that and expect it to be that. Do you know that? And names are not typically important. What matters is the, 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 the sustenance. What matters is what's on the inside, what's going in, and then what matters is what's coming out. And this is only the work of God's grace. None of us can drum that up. None of us can fake it. None of us can push it. None of us can impose it. It has to be the work of God. But he's been doing that work since the foundation of the earth. Do you know that he was the God of grace to Adam and Eve? He made him a promise in the middle of the worst mistake they'd ever made in the the whole cataclysmic shift that made the world from a beautiful place to a, a broken place. He still made him a promise and he never left them. And he gave them a son, and, a, and another son, and another generation, and another generation. And when all hope was lost, and when all knowledge was lost, he revealed himself to Noah. And he saved humanity, and he started over. And generations later, when all knowledge of God was lost, and more people screwed up, God, God spoke to Abram, and he took him to the place he would show him, and he told him about the promise he would make to him. He's been a God of grace from the beginning and he'll be a God of grace to the end. And all he's looking for is for repentance and faith. To look to God and say, yes, I can't do this on my own and I'm not gonna try, but I trust you. And so I'll come to you and I'll receive what you're gifting to me by your grace. And this makes you a person of grace. And when we do that together, we become a community of grace. And we become people who grace is on our lips. God's story of love and faithfulness and salvation and transformation. And that is not just the words we say. We don't need to go to a class to teach us how to tell people about the grace of God through evangelism training. Uh, 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 uh. Those are the weirdest classes to me. Evangelism explosion. We're going to teach you how to say words. Are we? Are we? How about you get this so deep inside of your heart? that every time you open your mouth, your story is God's story of grace. Every time you recount a situation, it's about a God who is faithful and a God who is generous and a God who sacrificed for you. Every time it's a story of, I went in prayer to God, I had a need and he responded. Every single time, my story is his story. That's what a community of grace looks like. I didn't mean to poo-poo evangelism training, I'm sorry. I know some of you... Some of you are like, that changed my life. Great, that's awesome. God can use anything. But it doesn't have to be forced if it's true. That's the point. So I want to be a community of grace. I want want to point out one other thing to you, and there's so many things I could point out to you, but I have four minutes left, and I have a really cool quote I want to close with. Notice these names. We know Paul, we know Titus, but listen in verse 12. He says, I will send Artemis or Tychicus, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. I want to just talk to you for a second about three of those four names, Artemis, Zenos, and Apollos. Do you know what those three people have in common? All of their names are the names of Greek gods. Zeus, Apollos, and Artemis of the Ephesians. These are non-Jewish Greek people who are named after false gods who found a new identity in the Jewish Messiah, who not only that, but who were transformed on the inside and gave their lives to
to the work of ministry. And now they are being fruitful to communicate the good news of God's great love for all people all over the ancient Near East. And they spent their lives traveling from one city to the next, serving people they did not know out of generosity because of the transformation that they had experienced. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's what our God is able to do. Listen, there is not a world full of bad people out there who are against Christians and are trying to tear down everything we stand for that we need to war against. No, there's a bunch of lost people in darkness that are waiting for the true light to shine through your life and your words. And no matter what God they are under or serving, no matter what lie they are believing, no matter what baggage they are held down by, they are one word and one act of kindness away from having their life changed forever. That is every person you interact with, every person that scrubs your window at the car wash and waits on your table and checks out your groceries, every single person that comes to your house as a technician or does your taxes is a person made by God for God who God wants to live with forever, who he has made a provision to save them in Jesus. That's your story and it can be their story in an instant. Every single person out there is not your enemy, but is an opportunity to see someone who God loves restored to them. Will we be a community of grace? Will we be a people who lost people want to hang out with because we're a lot more like Jesus than the rest of the world? Will we be a people who connect with God every single day in his word, who, who enfold our minds and our lives in his story of grace from beginning to end? And we do the work of learning. Let our people learn. Let them learn. Keep on learning. Will we be people who turn to the scriptures, who walk by the power of the spirit, who are ready to give our lives away in service to other people, who are ready to give God credit for the change, and who are ready to say, come with me. Come in here. Come and be a part of. This is what it looks like to be a community of grace. Let me ask the worship team to come up. I want to read to you a little excerpt from a 150-year-old sermon. Some sermons are really good. Some of my sermons from four years ago, I feel like taking off the internet. But some of them are really good. Even after 150 years, they're really good. And this sermon was entitled All of Grace, and it was preached in London. And it was based in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, which says, in due time or at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, which is a very simple phrase that describes God's message of grace. And the preacher says the following, fix your mind on that and rest there. Let this one great, gracious, glorious fact lie in your spirit until it perfumes all your thoughts and makes you rejoice even though you are without strength seeing the Lord Jesus has become your strength and your song. He has become your salvation. According to the scriptures, it is a revealed fact that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly when they were yet without strength. You have heard these words hundreds of times maybe, and yet you have never before perceived their meaning. There is a cheering savor about them, is there not? Jesus did not die for the righteous, but he died for our sins. He did not come to save us because we were worth saving. He, he came when we were utterly worthless, ruined, and undone. He came not to earth out of any reason that was in us, 
but solely and only out of reasons which he fetched from the depths of his own divine love. At the right time, he died for those he describes not as godly, but as ungodly, applying to them as hopeless an adjective as he could well have selected. If you have but little mind, yet fasten it to this truth, which is fitted to the smallest capacity, it is able to cheer the heaviest heart. Let this text lie under your tongue like a sweet morsel until it dissolves into your heart and flavors all your thoughts. And then it will little, little matter, though those thoughts should be as scattered as autumn leaves. People who have never shown in science nor displayed the least originality of mind have nevertheless been able to accept the doctrine of the cross and have been saved thereby. Why should not you? And that's my question. We are all on a journey to become more and more people of grace. But maybe you're here this morning and this does not describe you. Maybe you've been on a track of works of righteousness and trying to get God's attention or gain God's favor or be a better person. That's not the message of grace. The message of grace is that when you were dead in sins, when you were ungodly, Christ died for you because you were precious to God and that of his own depths of love and faithfulness, he came near and he did everything necessary to redeem you, to save you, to renew you, to transform you, and he wants to fill you up and walk with you forever. And now your life can be an active demonstration of his grace. And that's his free gift. And the only way you receive a free gift is by taking it. That's what faith is about. It's just about taking God at his word and receiving the thing he wants to give you. And maybe some of you are here today. Maybe you're following online. Maybe you're listening on a random Tuesday in 2029 to an old YouTube sermon you found. The message doesn't change and the invitation is yours. Will you receive it? God, I pray for us, Christ Church in Volusia County, Memorial Day weekend, 2021. God, I pray that you would fold us up in your message of grace, that we would saturate ourselves in it, Lord, that we would give ourselves to the works of grace that are before us, that you empower. And that in our planning and in our unity and in our working together and our service, God, we would be a community of grace. Lord, this is who we want to be. And this is who you've promised to make us into. God, I pray for our church that we would continue to be a place where people who are far from you find a family, find help and hope and affection and patient love. And I pray for any person who's in my hearing right now who's not received the gift of your grace and known your love. Lord, I pray that you would give them the gift of faith and repentance in this moment, that they would turn to you, offer all that they are to be forgiven, and that they would be saved, they would be recipients of grace right now in this moment. I thank you that you are still a miracle working God. Jesus, we, we love that you are reigning victorious and you are fulfilling your purpose on the earth and we are excited to be a part of it. 
with every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer for the first time to receive God's grace, would you just stick your hand up real fast so I can see you? Great, excellent, you put your hands down. God, thank you for my sisters who have put their faith in Jesus in this moment. God, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come upon them in power to bring renewal and transformation, to comfort and to bless. We thank you that you promise to never leave us or forsake us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Can we thank God for the work he's doing in hearts and minds even today? And no matter what your, whatever your situation is, wherever you're coming at, whatever God's calling you to, uh, God wants us to come in his direction. And he says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And so I want you to have this opportunity as we close to receive not just God's good grace yet again this morning, but to receive a touch from his hand, to be strengthened and empowered as we run to the Father. Amen. Let's stand.